around. Amen? Tonight we're going to talk about counting the cost. Counting the cost. We're going to talk about discipleship. What it means to be a disciple. You know, uh, Jesus gave very specific commands before he went to heaven. In Mark chapter 16, he said, uh, Go into all the world, teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and making disciples. Making disciples. And uh, sometimes I wonder if we really know what that word means, to be a disciple. Uh, but he did not say make converts. He didn't say get a bunch of people to pray a prayer. He said make disciples. And this word disciple means to be a pupil or to be a follower. Be someone that adamantly gives their life to following someone or something. That's what a disciple is. So there's two things that are required to be a disciple. There's a teacher and there's a student. You've got to have a teacher and you've got to have a student. You can't be a disciple without one of the two. If you don't have somebody to follow, then you're not a disciple of anything. And if you're not following, if you're not giving yourself to that, uh, then you're not a disciple either. And so God has commanded that we make disciples and that we become disciples. And the goal is that we become a disciple to make disciples. Amen. You don't just become a disciple and then you go on and do your thing. You are a disciple and then part of discipleship is now going out and making more disciples, sharing the gospel of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom. And with this becoming a disciple, um, there's a cost involved. <laughs> And we're going to look at a passage where Jesus talked about counting the cost. If you'll go to Luke chapter 9. And um, you may have heard this before. And uh, to be honest with you, this can be kind of confusing. The way Jesus responded in these different scenarios uh, that we're about to read. Um, but he's talking about the cost of discipleship. He's talking about the cost of following him. Jesus had many followers. Um, Jesus had different levels of followers. I'll break it down for you. One, he had followers called the multitude. Just a large group of people that heard about awesome things that he did, even saw awesome things that he did, maybe saw him minister a couple times and knew there's something different about this guy. And so they end up on the side of a mountain and listen to him minister for days on end and get hungry and he has to break fish and bread and multiply these things for them because they're just hanging around. Uh, he, they would fill up houses that he would stay at. They one time pushed him to, he had to minister from a boat in the middle of the lake because the land was so covered with so many people. This was a multitude of people. 5,000 men, not even including women and children in several different instances. The multitude of people would follow him. There's another instance where he designated and called out 70 men, 70 disciples to go out and he empowered them to do what he had been doing. He gave them power over unclean spirits, gave them uh, dominion over healing and disease and commanded them to go heal all the sick, heal every kind of disease you come into contact with, proclaim the message of the kingdom, cast out demons. Amen. That was 70. Then he had another group of 12. And those are the ones we're most familiar with. We actually know their names. Twelve disciples that literally gave up everything to follow him. And he went and he handpicked those guys. He said, you leave your boat, leave your 
father's business. Leave your parents. Leave the tax collector's booth. Leave what you're doing and come follow me. There's 12 disciples. But then he even had a tighter group within the 12, Peter, James, and John, who were three that were the most closest to him. There were even uh, several instances where they were invited to to tag along uh, where the other disciples weren't. The transfiguration, for example. Jesus ends up on the side of a mountain, and he's got Peter, James, and John with him. They're the only three that that saw this transfiguration take place. And Moses and, Elijah, Moses and Elijah come down and visit with him, are actually talking with him. The same Moses and the same Elijah from the Old Testament all of a sudden show up with Jesus, and they're discussing how he's getting ready to be crucified. Sounds like a great conversation. Why? Because Moses and Elijah knew there is an end. There is a coming kingdom. This thing that we've been prophesying about, the reason why I pulled all those Israelites out of Exodus and brought them to the promised land, you're the one that's going to bring the kingdom back to earth. Moses and Elijah show up and start talking to them, and they're excited about Jesus going to the cross. And Peter, James, and John got to sit there and watch this thing take place. So they were even tighter than even some of the other twelve. So discipleship, Jesus had disciples, Jesus had followers, but Jesus makes it very clear in this instance that there were even other people that wanted to follow him. Uh, For example, there was a, a rich young ruler that showed up to Jesus one time and said, I want to come with you. There was a, a man that was possessed with the legion of demons. And after Jesus cast out all the demons and sent them into a bunch of pigs, the man begged him that he could stay with him and, and travel with him. And now Jesus identifies other instances of people that would come to him and want to follow him or people that he would go and say, hey, come follow me. But there was a price to pay. And we've got to understand that there's a cost involved. See, following God, um, when you follow Jesus, you're not adding Jesus to your life. (laughs) When you got saved, you didn't just say, all right, Jesus, come along with me. No, you're following him. That's what true discipleship means. So I'm not inviting Jesus into my messed up life. I am accepting my new life in Christ. Okay? Which means I'm letting go of some stuff. Because there's a cost to discipleship. Uh, God will make a demand on all kinds of stuff. In my life, God has made a demand on my time. God has made a demand on my talents and my skills and abilities. Things that I'm good at. Gifts that he gave to me. He's made a demand on my finances. He's made a demand on my resources. There's things that I've had that he needed. Remember Jesus, there was one time right before he was getting ready to go have the Passover dinner with his disciples. And he said, go into the town and you'll find a a colt, a donkey that's never been ridden before, tied up. Go to the owner and says, the Lord has need of it. I've run into some things in my life that the Lord has had need of, and it's required, it's tested my level of discipleship. Your level of discipleship is determined by how much you'll give up. (laughs) Your level of discipleship is determined by how much you'll give up. But here's here's the awesome thing about it, is discipleship doesn't take anything away from you. You actually gain. 
See, in all those areas, I've gained. I've gained in my talents and my skills and my abilities. I've gained in the financial arena in my life. I've gained in resources. I don't lack for anything. There's nothing that I need today because I give easily to the kingdom of God. Because he promised that if I'll seek first the kingdom, then all these things that everyone else is running around searching for, they'll come running me down. They'll come find me. And anytime I've needed something, it's been there. Anytime I needed someone to have a certain talent, it showed up. Anytime I needed a certain skill or resource, it's been there. Every time I needed a finance, it came. Because it was things that I gave up. So discipleship isn't about giving something up. It's about gaining. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine here in town a couple of weeks ago, and um, he, he said this statement. I don't remember how we got on the conversation, but we were talking about people that are talented and have skills. And he said, you know, everyone's going to give account for the talents and the skills that they have, that God's given them. See, we don't think about this. We know, okay, I've got to give account for my life, and I've got to give account for what I do with my time, or maybe even how I spend my money, but account for my talents. See, all those people in the world that have musical abilities and awesome voices, but they're using it to curse rather than to bless, they're going to have to give account for that one day. I gave you this gift and this talent to sing. I gave you this incredible voice, and those are the words you chose to sing? They're going to have to give account for that. That's the kind of music. I gave you an ability to play the drums, and that's the kind of music you wanted to play? have to give account for that. So we see that we're stewards over everything in our life. And discipleship, all it does is it, it, it brings a focus to what you're truly stewarding over. Whatever you have, whatever is in your realm of influence, whatever skills and abilities you have, whatever you have in your possession. I know people that are very wealthy and have so much money, they don't even know what to do with it. Well, God knows what to do with it. (laughs) And they'll have to give account for that one day. You spent your money on that when you could have been funding this. That doesn't mean that God wants to take everything. In fact, you know, I think he's pretty fair and only asking for 10%. I mean, you get to keep the other 90. We get to keep 90% of of what comes in. I mean, it almost seems unfair to me. I'm willing to go 50-50 on this thing with you, God, but 10%, okay. But then when he makes a demand on extra, then it determines who's the God. Because it determines who you're following, and who you follow is who you're a disciple of. I want you to give $100 to this. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, then the money is your God. So you are a disciple of money because you're following money. And money is training you, and you don't even know it. You are a pupil of money. It's teaching you something. You don't even realize it. See, if we're not careful, we can become a disciple of anything. But we've been told to become and make disciples of Jesus. So look here in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And there's three instances, there's three responses, and we're going to break them down one by one. So the first one in verse 57 says, Now it it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. You know, as a pastor, if someone told me that, 
I'd be pretty excited. I mean, I mean, come on. Someone comes up to you and says, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to follow you. You think Jesus would be ecstatic? You think he'd say, all right, man, got another one. Come on. Come on board this thing. Can't, can't, so glad to have you. That's not what he says. Verse 58, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We're talking about counting the cost. So what happens here? The first, first instance we see is an instance of emotional response. This guy has addressed Jesus out of an emotional response. He's excited about everything that Jesus is doing. And so he is blind to the cost and he only sees the reward. He only sees the benefit. He only sees the popularity and the fame. And everybody's calling your name. And everywhere you go, nobody, everybody knows who you are. And you're doing all these signs and wonders. And they think you're a god. On top of that, they think that you're going to restore a kingdom. And you're going to take away this Roman punishment that we're under right now. This Roman bondage that's keeping us tied down and making us do everything like the Romans do. We're Jews. We don't want to live like the Romans. And you're going to come and you're going to deliver us. This was the big mistake that everybody made during Jesus' time. They thought he was bringing a literal kingdom to the earth. And so they saw the benefit, but they didn't see the cost. And so Jesus quickly highlights the cost. And here's what happens in the emotional side is we see the benefit of the reward, but we don't see the cost of what we're leaving behind. We only see what we're gaining, but we don't see of what we've got to let go. But the number one thing you've got to understand in discipleship is that following Jesus requires leaving something else. That's where a lot of people miss it. I'll follow Jesus, but I'm not going to leave these friends of mine. I mean, we hang out. We're, we're Facebook buddies. We, we go out every Thursday night and, and grab a beer. I mean, I, I'm not going to quit that. I mean, I'll tell them about Jesus. And so we come up with our way of doing something when he says, this is the cost of discipleship. If you're going to follow me, you're abandoning something else. An emotional response that has not considered the cost of abandonment is insufficient. An emotional response that has not considered the cost of abandonment is sufficient. He's, he's identifying to this man that you've got your eyes set on the reward and the benefit, but I don't know if you understand everything you've got to let go of because materials can't have you. Things can't have you. People can't have you. I have to have you and all of you. An emotional response that has not considered the cost of abandonment is insufficient for Jesus. It's not good enough. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus actually breaks this down even further. Matthew chapter 16. We're talking about counting the cost. This is what discipleship is truly all about. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. 
And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires, see, you go after desires. You chase after desires. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Profit means leftover. That after you've spent everything, you have something to show for. See, if I go out and purchase something for $100 and then sell it back for $100, there's no profit. But if I purchase it for $50 and sell it for $100, I've just made profit. That's what's left over. That's the extra. So he's saying, what does it profit me? You have nothing left over if you try to gain the whole world but lose your own soul. It's not an even exchange. Let's keep going. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Go back up to uh, verse 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. So if we go after Jesus, we're denying ourselves. It's, it's going both ways. There's, you can't keep yourself and go after Jesus. He's identifying this. And take up his cross. Take up his cross. See, a lot of us see the cross as a burden. But the cross is not a burden. The cross is a sign of renewed priorities. That's what the cross means. See, when Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't a burden for him. It was proving to his father, I want something more than what I will than what I want. And that's why he prayed that in the garden. Not my will, but yours. If it's possible, let this cut past for me. But the cross was not a burden to Jesus. It was, a, it was an identifier. It, it revealed, I have my priorities on something else. When you take up your cross, that means I am prioritizing the things of God above what I want. That's, the, that's discipleship. That's discipleship. Following God at the sake of losing myself. Following God and denying myself. Going after Jesus. Let's look at this in the New Living Translation, starting with verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. See, you can't just think about yourself. Now you've got to think about what God wants. Turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. Verse 25, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So, if I die, I live. If I, lose, if I lose my life, I'll find it. That's awesome. Go to verse 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? See, he turns it around and he places a value on you. You are so valuable that you need to follow me. Because following and chasing after anything else devalues who you are. 
Going after money devalues who you are. Going after fame and popularity devalues who you are. Going after that career or that business devalues. It cannot value you the way I value you. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Look at this in the Amplified real quick. It kind of breaks it down. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, disregard, lose sight of, and forget himself and his own interests. Remember, I had an instructor in Bible school that said, You want to have the Father's interest become your interest. And he would always ask, are you interested in what the Father's interested in? It's a good question, because we have all kinds of interests. That's why there's an app called Pinterest. Because it's stuff that interests you, and you can pin it and save it for later and never look at it again. Hey, I'm just telling the truth. You pin stuff, and you probably never go back and look at it. It's just how it is. Apparently, it wasn't that interesting. But he says, lose sight of, forget himself and his own interests. Take up his cross and follow me. Cleave steadfastly to me. Conform wholly to my example in living and, if need be, in dying also. Just breaking it down, isn't it? Conform wholly to my example. All of you needs to become all of me. For whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here, shall lose it, eternal life. But whoever loses his life, his comfort and security here, for my sake, shall find it life everlasting. Verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life, his blessed life in the kingdom of God? Or what would a man give as an exchange for his blessed life in the kingdom of God? You've got to ask yourself, what am I willing to give up so I can live a life according to the kingdom? The greater life, the better life, the life that God has destined for me from the very beginning. What am I willing to lay down? There's a cost. To follow Jesus. Let's go back to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and we'll pick up with verse 58. So the first one we saw was the emotional response. And the emotional response doesn't count the cost. The emotional response uh, just looks at the benefit and does not take a look at the cost. It only looks at what it gains and not what it is going to abandon and deny. We've got to count the cost. Verse 58. Uh, Sorry, 59. Then he said to another, follow me. So now he's speaking to someone else. And we've heard him say, follow me before. Now, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, Matthew, most of them just got up and left. They didn't ask any questions. They didn't have feedback. But this guy does. Then he said to another, follow me. And notice that we don't know his name. Are you going to be written in the book? (laughs) If you want your name in the book, you better deny some stuff. Jesus, uh, 
verse 59, he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, that word bury my father does not mean uh, that his father is dead and he needs to go put him in the ground. That would not take very long. Connotation here is that he needed to go take care of his dying father. Let me go take care of my dying father. But look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, if Jesus told you that and your father was dying and you need to go take care of your dying father and he said, come follow me. I mean, you'd probably be pretty upset. But Jesus is identifying something very important here. The number two. The second response we see is procrastination. I'll follow you when. I'll follow you when. And it's interesting because Jesus gives him options. You can either go bury the dead or you can come with me and raise the dead. And sometimes we're so focused on burying all of our dead stuff that we never get to hang out with someone who's raising dead stuff back to life. He could have gotten to hang out with the one that could have brought dead things back to life. He's busy, he's busy worried about burying the dead things. And Jesus is saying, come with me and watch me bring things back to life in your life. Watch me make things alive. Because that's what Jesus did, and that's what Jesus does. So, pursuit of God's kingdom takes precedence over all other loyalties. He's identifying, if you're going to procrastinate, if you have another priority in front of me, then you're not fit to follow me. You have to count the cost. He said, let the dead bury their dead. Let the dead bury their own dead. Look, if you're still trying to get things in your life in order so you can follow Jesus properly, you need to let the dead things bury their own dead, and you need to go hang out with the one that brings dead things back to life. You need to, get, you need to hang around the one that makes things alive. Quit hanging around dead stuff. Get around the one that has life. Pursuit of God's kingdom takes precedence over all other loyalties. Even something so close, something so sensitive as taking care, taking care of your dying father, Jesus says, you need to come with me. I take a higher precedence. I take a higher priority. Come, follow me. Come, be a disciple of me. That's what he's identifying here. There's no time to procrastinate. There's no time to put this thing off and quit trying to get everything in order. Come with me and I'll get everything in order for you. It's the cost of discipleship. We should be more concerned with those that are spiritually dying than those that are physically dying. See, proclaiming the kingdom of God raises spiritually dead people back to life. Come on, you know some people that are spiritually dead. And there's a precedence there. There's a priority. 
I love raising spiritually dead people back to life. I love raising people that don't know life, don't know Jesus, and bringing them back to life, the new life in Christ, because that's what he does is he brings life to dead things. Be more concerned. So you can bury the dead or you can raise the dead. It's up to you. The third response, look at this in verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. of You don't even belong in my kingdom if you can't put your hand to what I'm doing without looking back. You don't even belong. You're not even fit. You won't make it. Number three, the third response requires undivided attention. Undivided attention. Jesus gets all of you or none of you. The cost of discipleship. Nobody else gets your attention over Jesus. Nobody else gets your attention over the kingdom. Service in the kingdom demands undivided attention. Demands undivided attention. When you're serving the king and you're serving the kingdom, then there's nothing else that matters than serving him. We've got to have undivided attention. Half-hearted discipleship eliminates God's maximum blessing. Half-hearted discipleship eliminates God's maximum blessing. You're missing out if you're only giving God half. Because you're getting nothing. See, it's not if I give God half, then he'll give me half. Well, if I serve him with half of my heart, then he'll give to me with half of his heart. It doesn't work that way. He's an all or nothing God. You're all in or you're all out. And half-hearted discipleship eliminates God's maximum blessing. So this deals more with the how than the what. See, we might have been making a big deal out of what we're doing. But we haven't been paying attention to how we do it. We might have been focused on what we're doing. But we're not paying attention to the heart of the matter. What's on the inside? What really matters? God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside. But God looks at the heart. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through the fire. So they both built. But only one makes it through the fire. 
They both built. See, it's not a matter of just doing something. It's a matter of how you do it. There's an attitude involved. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Colossians 3, verse 17 says this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. It's not about what you do. It's about how you do it. It's not about what you're doing. It's about how you're doing it. It's about the attitude that's within you as you're doing it. I don't care if you play the guitar. I care that you play the guitar with an attitude of worship. I don't care if you change a diaper. I care if you change a diaper with an attitude of service to the Lord. Well, this, this is where Pastor Martin Pastor Ashley wanted me, and I just got to work back here again. It's my third time this month. That's the wrong attitude, because you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for the Lord. And he's the one that's going to give you the reward. Again, I can't even value you as much as you are valued. Sure, I wish that I could pay every single person that does anything in this ministry. But you understand that the second I do that, your assignment is now tied to a dollar value. It gave me 50 bucks for watching the kids tonight. So now it's tied to $50. It's worth 50 No, it's worth way more than that. And there's a reward and there's a value tied to it and associated with it that's way greater. See, you miss the real reward because you're looking for this reward. You're looking for the natural reward when there's a heavenly reward that's far greater. Because you were doing it as under the men. You weren't doing it as under the Lord. If you go down to verse 23, it says, what, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. He tells you right there, do it to him, not to men. Look, even in your jobs you can exercise this. This isn't just a church thing. You can exercise this in your job. You can exercise this in the work. Are you working for a man? Are you working for a paycheck? Are you working for the dollar? Or are you working for God? This is the cost of discipleship. Following after God, seeking his kingdom. And you can't do it half-heartedly because you get no blessing. But when you do it wholeheartedly, when you give him all of you, when you give him everything, when you give him Everything you are, he will give you everything he is. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first, not second, not third, not last. Seek first. What is first? Priority. He's prioritizing it. He says, do you not realize that if you seek me first, that all these other things that you had lined up to seek, you won't have to seek them. Because it's all wrapped up in seeking my kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. So we won't have an emotional response. We won't have a response that's tied emotionally, that I'm all excited and, 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 and excited. I mean, I've seen that happen in churches. The second a church starts growing, people start getting on board and get excited. But then 
something hits. Trials and tribulations show up, and they're the first one off the boat. Oh, I didn't realize we were going to hit a storm. I thought we always had money in the bank. I thought we could buy anything we needed. I thought that we always had enough workers. I didn't think I was ever going to have to work more if things show up. Because you jumped in emotionally. You didn't count the cost. You didn't look at what you had abandoned. And on top of that, they didn't let go of anything. They didn't deny themselves. It just fit into their life. Jesus should never fit into your life. You fit into his life. You mold your life to his. That means, okay, I've got to carve off some stuff here, and I've got to take this layer off. I've got to get rid of this over here on this side, because now I've got to fit into his mold. The new life. We're going to count the cost. We're not going to show up with an emotional response. We're not going to show up with undivided attention. We're not going to show up half-heartedly. The cost of discipleship means it gets all of me. Because whether the pastor sees it, whether my boss sees it, whether my coworker sees it, God sees it every time. He knows the attitude. He knows my heart. We're not going to show up and procrastinate. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you when I take care of this. No, let the dead stuff bury the dead stuff, and you go with Jesus and raise dead stuff back to life. There's a, there's a cost to count. Discipleship is not a prayer. Discipleship is, is not trying to uh, 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 just get access somewhere. It's about becoming someone. It's about becoming someone new, becoming someone different, completely reprioritizing my entire life so that the kingdom of God is my first priority, my only priority, the only thing I go after, and I know that God will take care of everything else. Father, we thank you tonight that we can count the cost of following you. We take up the cross, and the cross is not a burden for us. The cross is a sign. It's a revelation. It's an identifier that we have now reorganized, realigned our life with the kingdom of God. Father, I thank you tonight that you show each of us areas that we can continue to deny ourselves, deny our interests, and take up your interests, take up your thoughts, take up your life, Father. Father, you're all that our lives are about. You are why we're here. You have given us a purpose. You have given us a destiny. Father, you have given us a new life. And we do whatever it takes. We won't procrastinate. We won't have undivided attention. We won't serve you while we try to serve something else. Father, we give you all of us wholeheartedly. We thank you, Father, that you will remain faithful to your word, that following after you has a reward. Following after you and obeying you has a great gain. What we may let go of may be great, but what we gain is even greater. So, Father, we focus on what we gain. We focus on who we become when we truly become disciples of you. We thank you for this word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now.